have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Silence, the great and powerful Oz knows why you have come. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> with Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes, presented by redvoicemedia.com. Remember, we do the second hour over at redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored or slash Jason, where you get the premium. And actually, if you go check out my uh, latest Twitter feed, you'll see that four or five videos that have become free are there in a row. That second hour becomes free every two weeks. I want you to check out that material. Just like yesterday, there was just no way that we could have played the Acosta Fauci video and done it any kind of justice on YouTube. Couldn't have played the Redfield video and done it any kind of justice on YouTube. But luckily, hopefully, kind of maybe sort of today is different. Why? Well, Number one, we're going to focus not only on what appears to be a controlled financial implosion on a drive to universal basic income slavery. That's what this looks like, guys. Hate to say it. I don't know that Donnie T has any answers for anybody. And we'll get to Trump and the rally in Iowa in a moment. But you had over 20 yesterday all of a sudden go on the dipsy doodle the old probably not going to be around ride you know that ride you know the ride that no one's talking about the ride that could take us all on a very bad ride and again and again and again and again on television what am i hearing a contagion oh it's a contagion now like they used to say things like spread like wildfire. No, now everything is a disease. And that is psychological manipulation via association. It is a common tactic in mass psychological warfare to keep you confused on what's happening. So what is actually happening? All right. Thomas Massey will tell you, understand what's happening at FDIC. They're taking the insurance premiums that were paid in to protect depositors under 250,000, the little guys, the vast majority of people, 
and using it to cover deposits of the very rich. They argue it benefits everyone to go all in on the first few banks. So I want people to understand what that means. Again, the vast majority of companies had way more than 250 grand inside SVB and a lot of these other banks that they're downplaying. And they're going to be paid back with the insurance money that was paid in that was only supposed to cover up to $250,000. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound financially sound, does it? And we'll play Biden and entire speech yesterday all hopped up. And by the way, the, I'm going to show you the media covers for him. For instance, I, I just wanted to find the speech start to finish, right? And they cut it off before anybody even asks the question. And he runs away and fiddles with the door. It's a joke and a bad one. Oh, and then let's get to Trump because, um, you know, we're just going to quickly look at this. Okay. Uh, I, I did not end up going. I was so exhausted. And here's why. I was so exhausted. Uh, I'd been up all night. I've been up since five, the, five in the afternoon the other day. And you had to be there for four or five hours. And they said Trump was going to speak for an hour. He spoke for two hours. Guys got mad energy. So uh, right here, this is the Adler Theater. This is right across from where I call the fights, by the way. They're, they're shooting. Around the bend. Well, we're going to ask Todd what it was like on the inside. But, you know, around the block to see Donnie T. And and look, again, two plus hour, or not two plus. Uh, I think it, I think he got like a 10-minute intro from uh, Kim Reynolds, okay, from the governor. And then uh, a speech that was like an hour and a half plus. And here's just a little bit of it. He's promising the baby boom. He's promising the building of the new cities. Uh, I want to promise that Julian Assange is going to be prosecuted. I want to promise that we're going to have freedom of speech again. I want to promise of actually dismantling this corrupt apparatus quantum leap in the American standard of living. We will hold a competition to build new freedom cities on the frontier. We have this magnificent, we own most of the country. We have the most beautiful lands in the country to give countless Americans a new shot at home ownership and the American dream. We'll build cities and we will support baby bonuses for a new baby boom. We want a baby boom. We want our people to have babies like we used to have and other countries have that problem too i will immediately sign a new executive order to cut federal funding for any school that's pushing critical race theory transgender insanity so so again say what you want about the guy this is over an hour into his speech and he's got 30 plus minutes left and he knows how to hold the crowd. Uh, whether he's Joe Biden or not, this guy, he can speak. Okay. He can talk. He's actually going to try to run the country. Joe Biden reads off a prompter. And by the way, a lot of what Joe Biden said yesterday sounds good on paper, sounds good on paper, but you're not allowed to question it in any way, shape or form of what's actually happening or quote unquote, why it happened. Okay, so uh, let, let's let's cut to that, and then we'll get into the cover story of Tucker and, and these clips where, for the first time to my knowledge, out of nowhere without 
even being directed, he questions uh, Building 7 and 9-11 on uh, the Redacted show. And on the Full Send podcast, he basically apologizes for being uh, you know, a part of the machine of manipulation that is the media. And he, he talks about why he's sorry. And I, I want to believe, Tuck. I want to believe. Uh, but there's a whole backstory to that as well. Let's get to uh, Biden and his full statement. Are we ready? Before I uh, leave for California, I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposit will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall. Banking systems overall. The guy can barely talk. I mean, can we just acknowledge that, that this guy right here can barely talk and the other guy is waiting on applause and punchlines? I mean, I, I just bare minimum comparison. I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and the team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. Again, can barely talk as he introduces Darth Yellen, who I, I shouldn't even call her Darth Yellen because if I were to go down the hierarchy of where Yellen is in the Star Wars villain verse, there's no way we're talking about right hand to Emperor Palpatine, right? I, I don't even know if we could get to Sith Lord. In fact, I, I don't know if we've even got like a Grand Mob Tarkin, maybe like a Minion of Tarkin, something like that. And here are the highlights. First, all customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses, will, and I'm, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Now, I don't know how that's possible. And I, I think the Daily Mail is the only uh, outlets that's being honest and being like, uh, Biden's lying about that. Uh Biden lies about tax uh, payers banking collapse. Let's see what we got. Um, let's see. We're, we're doing it live here, but I did see that yesterday. No losses to the taxpayers. Um, let's see. When I see this, Business Insider, uh, let's see if Daily Mail. We'll type in Daily Mail. So I'm pretty sure I said, here we go. Fired, slams, uh, that's two days ago. Let's go by, let's see, not any time, past 24 hours. Nothing. Comments, 
We'll we'll find it today. We're definitely going to find it. Okay, let, let's go back to uh, Joey uh, B, aka Zombie J, uh, with his, with his talk here. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Because of the actions of that, because of the actions that our regulators have already taken, every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. Second, the management of these banks will be fired. If the bank is taken over by FDIC, the people running the bank should not work there anymore. Third, investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. And fourth, there are important questions of how these banks got into the circumstance in the first place. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. Yeah, pointy Biden. In my administration, no one in my no one is above the law. <laughs> he just can't even talk. No one in my administration, nobody is above the law. And finally, we must reduce the risk of this happening again. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Oh, it's going to be worse than what happened in 2008. But again, they want to control the implosion to bring you into digital currency hell. Okay, while they absolutely eviscerate the rest and regulate the crypto market. That's the plan, Stan. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. Oh, yeah. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed. On top of all that, let's also take a look at a moment to put the situation in a broader context. We've made strong economic progress in the past two years. We've created more than 12 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president has ever created in a single four-year term. I mean, how do you feel about the economy right now? Seriously. We're, we're in like la-la land. The puppet-in-chief that can barely talk starts talking about how great the economy is while banks are collapsing. I mean, Wow. Unemployment is below 4% for 14 straight months. Take-home pay for workers is going up, especially for lower and middle-income workers. And we've seen record numbers of people apply to start new businesses, more than 10 million of them, more than 10 million applications over the last two years starting businesses. Now we need to keep the program, this progress going. That's what swift action that my administration over the past few years is all about, protecting depositors, protecting the banking system, protecting the economic gains we've made together for the American people. Thank you. God bless you. And may God protect our troops. See you in California. So as it gets to Mr., they just cut it off at CTV. Because that's how it rolls. You understand? These, watch the feeble old man scurry away. President, what do you know right now why this happened? And can you assure Americans that there won't be a ripple effect? Do you expect other banks to fail, Mr. President? 
Should all depositors be protected at all banks? All right, thank you, Mr. President. What do you it's like, get out of here. You're not allowed to ask questions. Get out of here. <laughs> My God. Oh, that's where we're at, folks. That's where we're at. Uh, we're going to get to Tucker in a minute, but there is a clip I came across that I want to talk about via Orson Welles, okay, and his film Citizen Kane. I'm sure there are a lot of people in my audience who have seen Citizen Kane. I'm sure a lot of people in my audience that have not seen Citizen Kane. We have that nice little middle ground, right, where people are my age, maybe a little bit older. I'm a big film buff. Uh, I remember watching Citizen Kane, I believe, in my house is one of the first DVDs that I would ever see on, on a tube television, not even a flat screen, guys. Not even a flat screen. Okay? Old CRT monitor being like, wow, look how clear that is. I guess I guess it wasn't a rounded tube, but you get the drift. So I, I watched this interview with Orson Welles, and he just says so many interesting things about Holly Weird, and then at the end about physicians and uh, basically our knowledge of medicine and doctors. So I'm going to play that clip, but I'm going to play it because it's going to play into the idea of media manipulation. And Orson was kind of courted. He talks about this uh, in the in the interview, and so he was he wasn't really in it for the money. He wanted a movie where he had authority where they wouldn't tell him what to do. And what he did was, is he made a movie that was a critical piece of William Randolph Hearst and yellow journalism. You supply me the pictures and I'll give you the war. So even then, the media was a tool of the establishment in order to really start global conflicts, okay, and manipulate the masses. And because of this, William Randolph Hearst uh, would pull ads. I mean, there was a huge campaign, okay, stops this and gain ads. A lot of people forget that stuff. So for Tucker Carlson, post-Citizen Kane, post-Orson Welles, to now have this big revelation, like literally... 70, 80 years later that he was also part of that apparatus is a kind of a way to, to work ourselves into media narrative. And then what I'm going to do is I have uh, videos from 15 years ago, really when I got my start. Okay, 15, you want to talk about a, a young Germus. I'm going to, uh, I've got quite a bit to play of it actually, because even... Even if you're like the most hardcore Jason Burmas fan, there's no way that you've seen these two videos. Now, I don't know exactly what I'm going to play, but because Bilderberg 2008 was uh, my first foray in hosting the Alex Jones show and being involved in exposing the globalists, this is even uh, prior to me putting out my film Invisible Empire, A New World Order Defined, with InfoWars, even prior to, I believe... Uh, I was there while we were making Fabled Enemies, which uh, Fabled Enemies is going to play a key role in what Tucker Carlson said about Building 7, by the way. And I'm going to show you that. Because in 2014, that's how the Tuckins comes along to the truth, is Alex Jones showing him pieces of the interview that myself and Dylan Avery did 
with Barry Jennings, who was inside Building 7 and then Building 7. And, and I've got to believe that was the, those were the first steps to take Tucker along this path. Shows you the butterfly effect of how a little guy like me can uh, eventually, hopefully, help influence you know, people to have critical thinking skills and go beyond the mainstream narrative. So before we get into the tuck-ins and seven, we're going to get there in media manipulation. Uh, I want to play this clip of Orson Welles back in 1960, kind of reflecting on his experience in Hollywood and making this film. And also how pure ignorance sometimes, right? And the inability to know the unknown is a great strength in confidence. And it makes you blindly think you can do things others will tell you you can't. And, and, and he talks about the strength of that. So really interesting little clip. Let's get to it. Now, what I'd like to know is, um, a scene which you'd never in all your life ever made a film before came, and had never, so far as I'm aware, been in a studio before, true. before came, um, quite apart from <laughs> how you landed this contract, which was a result of enormous notoriety at the time and other gifts, <laughs> a gift. Uh, what I'd like to know is how do I you know, get really, that? I must interrupt you. I got that good a contract because I didn't really want to make a film. Well, you better develop that. When you don't really want to go out to Hollywood, or at least this was true in the old days, or the golden days of Hollywood, when you honestly didn't want to go, yes. then, then the deals got better and better. In my case, I didn't want money. I wanted authority. So I asked the impossible, hoping to be left alone. And at the end of a year's negotiations, I got it. Yes. Simply right. because there was no real vocation there. My, my love for films began only when we started work. Now, what, I, what I'd like to know is where did you get the confidence from to make ignorance. a film with such... Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. It's only when you know something about a profession, I think, that you're timid or careful. Or... How does ignorance show itself? I thought you could do anything with a camera that the eye could do or the imagination could do. And if you come up from the bottom in the film business, you're taught all the things that the cameraman doesn't want to attempt for fear he will be criticized for having failed. Yes. And again, think about what he's telling you right here. The more doubt that's created and that's embedded of what you can't do, the more you're controlled in a situation. And he's going to go on to talk about the cameraman that he worked with being this top guy. And he, he said something really interesting to him. Look, there, there's nothing I can't teach you about this camera in half a day. That, like how to use it, everything. I, I can teach you everything. An intelligent person, I can teach this in half a day. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's about right. If, I, if you took a four to eight hour day, right? That's really half a day. Like, like you, you could be awake 16 hours, go to bed for four. And I spent it with you and I and my Canon M50 or M200 or my Sony A6 or an old HDV cam. I could show you the zoom and the ISO and the lens mechanisms, right? I could show you all that stuff. And if you were paying attention, you could also understand that as well and leave your imagination open. It's only through self-doubt that we begin to limit ourselves. 
And in this case, I had a cameraman who didn't care if he was criticized if he failed. And I didn't know that there were things you couldn't do. So I, anything I could think up in my dreams, I attempted to photograph. You got away with enormous technical advances, didn't you? Simply by not knowing that they were impossible, or theoretically impossible. Yeah. And of course, again, I had a, a, a great advantage, not only in the real genius of my cameraman, but in the fact that he, like all great men, I think, who are masters of a craft, told me right at the outset that there was nothing about camera work that I couldn't learn in half a day, that any intelligent person couldn't learn in half a day. And he was right. It's true of an awful lot of things. Of all, uh, you know, of, ev of every, of, you know, the, the great mystery that requires 20 years uh, doesn't exist in any field. <laughs> I like this is like probably my favorite part about it. He's like the great mystery of he's like that's that's Johnny nonsense. Man, Orson Welles, really interesting character. Really interesting character in history. And certainly not in the camera. The most overrated mystery on earth, you know. <laughs> and I was lucky enough to be told that by the absolute best living cameraman. Yeah. Like a doctor. You know, very good doctors tell you, you know, we really don't know anything much about medicine. I've yeah. noticed an awful lot of good doctors do talk that way, but only the very good ones. You don't believe them, of course. I do, implicitly. I don't think we know much. <laughs> <laughs> I, and just the fact that he talked about that at the medical field had to do it. Okay. So now let's, let's go full on, you better believe it, Tuckins. If anybody can find this video, I'm waiting. So I, I was doing my dick a dick a do, and I'd known that I'd put this out there, maybe somewhere on prisonplanet.tv and their archives. In fact, that'd be a great place to go search if you if you could get over there. But this is March seventh, two thousand and fourteen, and of course uh, the video no longer exists because they've taken the YouTube account down um, that did that. Now I will say this. With that, that brought me to a bunch of archive stuff. Uh, there's Jones and I launching Invisible Empire. Uh, there's the original screening. If you're looking for um, Alex Jones documentaries, uh, a lot of them are here. Internet Archive has a lot of stuff, and that's where um, these uh, interviews that I'm going to play uh, later with myself and Jim Tucker in 2008, and perhaps um, with G, uh, G. Edward Griffin in 2000 and talking. Bilderberg 2008, um, they come from. I was able to find those over here. But in that uh, interview, basically, Jones had eventually reached out. He had Tucker Carlson on, on the program later. Like he, he, he called in, and of course, Media Night, Media Night, and others, they, they honed in on the race conversation. That's not what we were talking about. But in that, Tucker sees excerpts of Fabled Enemies. And prior to the videos, we're going to watch a Tucker talking about Building 7 and media manipulation next. I had had a conversation with an individual over at the Reawaken America Tour in Nashville, Tennessee. And I, I don't want to give away too much of it, but basically he alluded to the fact that Tucker Carlson was aware about 9-11 and even aware of Israeli involvement in 9-11. Again, in the past, you may have, especially when you watch some of these videos from 2008, again, 15 years ago, guys, time flies. Talk about pioneering. PrisonPlanet.tv, 15 years ago, streaming live. 
thought that that's internet pioneers. What people are doing now and today, 15 years ago, I was lucky enough to be a part of. Looks a lot better now. Where do you see how see this stuff is? We're talking about squared up, me in a black room. It gets a little bit better by 2009, 2010. Um, but that's here nor there. This is when I'm working on a film and I'm out there. So Tuckins comes out and says out of nowhere uh, on this program that, you know, when you ask a question about JFK or World Trade Center Building 7, you can lose your job. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've never heard Tucker talk like before. Tucker kind of took a swipe at loose change last year. Uh, but at the same time, um, a lot of people felt like it was a nod to get it out there. And I do know that it bumped up traffic. I want, I want to reiterate this. My two films on 9-11, Loose Change Final Cut and Fabled Enemies, in which I, I think that we brought Tucker on this journey. Okay. Again, I want to I show people this. I want, I want them to read it. Where is it? Did, did I already exit out? No, did I? That would be stupid of me. Well, it looks like I may have already. There it is right here. Again, Tucker Carlson reacts to Building 7 implosion, and he was shown the the, uh, the Jennings footage and all of it. If you can find it, let's find it. Uh, here's Tucker on the Redacted Show asking uh, why you can't even ask the question about Building 7 or you might lose your job. Same with the Kennedy assassination. All these areas that are like verboten, you're not allowed to ask questions. Well, why are you allowed to ask questions? Right. You know, and the last thing I'll say is like, if they're not offended by craziness, they're not offended by conspiracy. If, if you go on TV tonight and say, I think the earth is flat, people will just laugh at you. They don't care if you think the earth is flat. It's not a threat to anyone. But if you say like, what, what actually happened with building seven? Like that is weird, right? It doesn't, like, what right. is that? Right. Say something like that on television, they'd flip out. They would flip out. So you'd like lose your job over that. Why? Why? It's my mm -hmm. country. Right. This is an attack on my country. Can I ask you? Like, I don't really understand. I think that he does understand, you know, and this is kind of where I think he needs to go further than this, obviously. Now, he talks about losing the job. Now here he's going to admit, I mean, he's going to admit buildings don't fall that way. And then he's going to pull it back a little bit. He's going to just pull it back a tad and goes, well, maybe they do. No, they don't. A hundred percent. They do not. Okay. Buildings actually collapse. No, they, maybe they do. I don't know. But like, yeah, why can't I ask questions about that? Anything you're not allowed to ask questions about is something you should be asking more questions about. A hundred percent. And now we're going to play him on full send, basically apologizing for his role in pushing the Iraq war and being part of the control apparatus. And again, I want to believe that the, that the Tuckins has come around and, you know, he, he's here to tell the, the truth. I, re I want to believe it so much. My goodness. All right, uh, let's do it right here. Like, I've spent my whole life in the media. My dad was in the media. Like, that is a big part of the revelation that's changed my life is the media are part of the control apparatus. Like, there's no, yeah, I know, I know, because you're younger and smarter and you're like, 
yeah. Yeah. But what if you're me and you spent your whole life in that world and to look around and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Not only are they part of the problem, but I spent most of my life being part of the problem defending the Iraq war. Like I actually did that. Can you imagine if you did that? Well, what do you think? What is one of your biggest regrets in your career? Oh, defending the Iraq war. That is it? Well, I've had a million regrets, not being more skeptical, calling people names when I should have listened to what they were saying. Look, when And that's, okay, like I think that's a direct relation to where he attacked 9-11 Truth. And he said, F Alex Jones prior to them meeting in 2014, now over a decade ago. All right. And, and again, I want to believe the Tuckins is being real. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have to go on these podcasts, right? He's the number one news guy out there as a huge, huge audience. Okay. Uh, and I like the fact that he's starting to do these shows. Tuck. Love to do a couple hours with the Tuckins on my show. Love to get the Tuckers. You, when someone makes a claim, there's only one question that's important at the very beginning, which is, is the claim true or not? Mm. So I say, you know, you committed murder or you rigged the last election before you attack me as a crazy person for saying that, maybe you should explain whether you did it or not. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And for too long, I participated in the, culture where I was like, anyone who thinks outside these pre-prescribed lanes is crazy, is a conspiracy theorist. And I just really regret that. I'm ashamed that I did that. And, and partly it was age, partly it was the world that I grew up in. So when you, when you look at me and you're like, yeah, of course they're part of the means of control. I'm like, that's obvious to you because you're 28, but I just didn't see it at all. And, and that is interesting to me. You know, he's 28. And if you think about it, the media has engaged in so much outward dishonesty where you're not supposed to believe your eyes and ears and senses and you're supposed to reject biology but embrace science right all these weird things since like 2016 now like it's it, it's it's ramped up when we went full russia style via trumpsky and hutch over there I, I mean, the last seven years. So that means that right around the time this uh, this guy could start drinking, I want to call him a kid. I hated being called a kid when I was in my 20s. I was a man. Speaking, I was a man. You're going to see how much of a man I was 15 years ago. My goodness. I, in fact, 15 years ago, I was 28. I was this guy's age. That's interviewing him. Okay. And I, I was lucky that I had figured it out. Period. And I, I just think that that generation, you either are full on embracing it because you don't care and you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. But if you're just like the least bit of a critical thinker, and obviously if you have the motivation to get out there at this young age and create a sec successful podcast like this, where you've got the Tuckins on, yeah, obviously you're skeptical at all. And I'm ashamed of that. Isn't that what the media tries to do though? It, it's their only purpose, right? They're not here to inform you really, even on the big things that really matter, like the economy and war and COVID and like things that really matter that will affect you. No, their job is not to inform you. They're working for the small group of people who actually run the world. They're their servants. They're their Praetorian guard. And we should treat them with maximum contempt because they have earned it. Yes, they have <laughs> maximum contempt, Praetorian guard, 
The Tuckins is spot mother tucking on. So again, I want to believe. I want to believe there's so many people out there do do the I guess do the same thing with the musker nuts. As far as I know, Tucker's not a arms dealer, right? Tucker's a, a trust fund kid. From what I understand, his father did work with the Central Intelligence Agency. He is an uh, acolyte of William Crystal and the Pnac Boys, one of the founders of the Daily Caller. Uh, yeah, remember I, I was looking for anything to try to find the original video where he's he's confronted with the Building Seven evidence for the first time. Boy, if we could find that, we'll definitely do a segment on it. By the way, and. I was reading the transcript of the conversation with Alex Jones about the bow tie, right? Basically, Tucker said he finally gave in to society because every day that he would take the train in, somebody would flip him off or say F you or just start berating him. And he goes, you know what? You try it. You try wearing a bow tie every day and see what happens to you. He could be funny. You know, the, the, the Tuckins can be funny. So on 9-11... On reaching out to uh, skeptics and having conversations, I want to play this clip. And basically, this is um, a clip of me trying to reach out to somebody without making fun of them, giving a voice, and, and, and saying, hold on. I don't need to yell at you. You don't need to yell at me. We can have a difference of opinion. Let's have an open conversation about this. And this guy is a skeptic about 9-11 and the controlled demolition of not Building 7, but 1 and 2. And I know there's still a lot of skeptical people out there as well. By the way, over 400 people watching this morning. Let's get the thumbs up. Let's get 200 thumbs up. Can we get 200 thumbs up for this? And I believe that this was, a, this is 15 years ago and me talking about controlled demolition incorporated, trying not to yell at somebody and I think engaging of what we need more of today. And that's letting somebody speak and then using information, countering that argument. So uh, here we go. This is from June 6th, 2008. We are back for the final hour of the Alex Jones Show. Remember, we are live streaming television over at prisonplanet.tv. Uh, hopefully, Alex is going to be calling in in this final hour. And we're going to be taking your calls. I'm not sure if we still have Mike in Montana on the line. But if we do, we're going to go to Mike right now. Mike, you're live on the Alex Jones Show. Mike dropped off. Ah. Up next is Dave in California. All right. Let's go to Dave in California there. Dave, are you with us? Hi, Jason. How you doing? Great job, man. I, I really like your format. It's a nice counterpoint to Alex's. Oh, thank you. Okay, uh, i got two quack things. Mm -hmm. YouTube, that seems like a natural dollar-making opportunity to somebody who wants to invest in a freedom-oriented uh, movie-sharing thing, something big. So anyway, put that out to the people out there that have got money. Sure, mm -hmm. not me. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to just, just remind in everybody Texas. that 9-11 not only was an inside job, 9-11 still is an inside job. Everything that they're doing, 
hinges on 9-11. Everything that they're telling us hinges on 9-11, and the cover-up continues to this day. So, uh, you know, I appreciate the thought that 9-11 was an inside job, but everybody keeps getting told, oh, no, that happens, you know. But uh, it's not only is an inside job, it's getting bigger and bigger all the time, and I think it's a weak point in their uh, in their armor. Well, absolutely. It is the weakest point in their armor because, again, this was documented on thousands of cameras on that day. And we have a news apparatus or had a news apparatus at that time much larger than, you know, that of the era of the assassination or the Gulf of Tonkin incident or the Vietnam War. And enough people were able to look at this information and say, hey, wait a minute, this is this is open source information. This is mainstream media and this is contradicting uh, you know, the supposed official version of these 19 guys in a cave directed by Osama bin Laden that did this thing. Yeah. And uh, more and more people are waking up to it. And the reason that it's still so important seven plus years later, it's not seven years later yet, but it will be. It'll be before we blink, folks. I mean, the summer's going to end. September 11, 2008 will be here. It'll be seven years on is because it still makes the front page of the paper. You still yep. you still hear about the post 9-11 world. It's still the excuse for the Patriot Act, for the Military Commissions Act, for Homeland Security, which is a totally corrupt uh, organization that is unnecessary. It has nothing to do with our security. It has everything to do with, you know, the elite power security, the establishment security to keep that into place. If Homeland Security were real, we would have secured the borders, but we did no such thing. And, uh, you know, it's all about cronyism. I, I don't trust the fact that uh, Michael Sheratoff is heading up that organization. And we need to wake up more minds, man. We just got to keep pushing. Show. Remember, we are live streaming television over at PrisonPlanet.tv. Uh, hopefully, Alex is going to be calling in in this final hour. Counterpoint to Some video issues over for the uh, for the stream, so you might just get audio. I'm just psyched up, uh, Justin. I'm so so excited to see so many people waking up to the Bilderberg Conference. Over a hundred protesters out there right now. Uh, of course, Alex Jones, Luke Rudowski, but but they're not going to be able to hide for much longer, are they, Justin? Uh, I would say not. I mean, we've got, uh, and I think that Alex's uh, new documentary Endgame had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's play. Let's I mean, it's only going to be audio, unfortunately, because uh, because the video feed for some reason is killing me right now. So I, I muted myself. I mean, terrible guys. I muted myself while I was trying to mute that and, and bring the audio. I, I thought I had all this queued up. And, and while I do that, everything, of course, dips out. I don't want that to happen either. OK, I had basically th this clip that i thought i had queued up and, and it's weird because when i bring it in i th these were from the internet archive they uh, they basically all say the same thing which screws me up and i must have deleted the wrong one it sucks <laughs> i i really want to play this clip of uh 
basically, uh, again, me, me talking to somebody who's angry and is debunking. But is this man? I'll tell you what. Let, let's go to Biden talking about transgender kids. And I'm going to try to find this quick. Transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida is, my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, 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 what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're going to be held accountable. So they want to take away parental rights. and I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty wild. Pretty wild. Oh. I, I, I'm I'm super annoyed because I really wanted to play this clip. I mean, maybe we'll have the clip tomorrow. Uh, I, I think that instead what we're going to do is for the rest of the hour, I'm going to play um, the clip of basically myself talking to the legend, the man, the myth, the legend. He's now deceased. I, saw, I found so many good interviews. Um, I found a great interview with uh, Jim Mars that I had not posted before. I downloaded that. But this is with Jim Tucker. And this is talking about the uh, Global Cabal, the Bilderberg Group, which Alex was on his way down to at the time. And I was hosting the show. Again, this is really the birth of streaming on the internet. And we need to find out where Bilderberg 2023 is this year, way before we found out about what? Last year. Didn't find out about it until it's actually happening in the middle of New York City. And unfortunately, I just couldn't make it um, in less than 24-hour notice. Okay? So we need to find out where Bilderberg 2023 is, and we need to make a big deal about it. Forget about Davos and the World Economic Forum. That's great. But Rebel News, everybody needs to converge on wherever that happens globally because that is the conduit with uh, how I believe they're going to micromanage this uh, economic implosion that we're starting to see before our eyes. So let's see right here. Let's see what we got. I think we might have Jim Tucker right out of the gates on this one. So let's just do it. All right, folks, we are live and we're streaming video too over at prisonplanet.tv. Uh, fourth hour, big hour. We're going to have Jim Tucker on. Uh, for those watching me on the television, I am a little burnt up. I caught some sun going out to San Antonio uh, yesterday. Man, the heat here is brutal in Texas. Don't let them tell you any different. I'm burned up. Oh, man, I'm looking at myself on the camera. I got like a big red nose and red blotches everywhere. What can you do? All right, so I've listened to the clip, and as far as I can tell, there are no curse words. Uh, Rosie called in to Howard Stern. She commended him uh, for going after the FCC and criticizing the Bush administration, said that she was very inspired by that. However, uh, Howard dropped an F-bomb, so we had to skip over that part. But here we go. Here she starts to get into the World Trade Center. So, yeah, there's a small World Trade Center segment uh, in, in the front of this with Rosie O'Donnell, I believe talking about Building 7 on Howard Stern, the more things change, the more things stay the same. That's how long 
I've been in this game talking about this as an important issue. It's 15 years ago. Trouble. What's going on with you in 9-11? You, you're, into, you're one of those people that believes that uh, something, some kind of conspiracy happened? I do not believe the official story. It defies the laws of physics. That's what uh, Jesse Ventura said. How here. much of a, a physicist are you, though? Yes. Well, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I was in New York like you all were. It was probably the most defining moment of my adult life. And I went and researched it like everyone else. I watched Building 7 come down the way we watched all those old hotels in Vegas be demo, uh, you know, Right. It defies the laws of physics. If you throw a billiard ball off the top of the World Trade Center, it would hit the bottom in 10 seconds. Those buildings fell at free fall speed with no resistance. The only way to do that with 47 steel girders in the middle is through explosive devices. So, you know, to me, it, it is something like the Kennedy assassination. There are some people I said, what do you think that it was um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald? I do. Alone? I actually do. do. I do believe he acted alone. I asked Donald Inspector about it. it. Makes sense to me. All right, we're going to stop it right there because I didn't listen beyond that point. But he asked Arl Inspector was good enough to come on Stern, uh, one of the cover ups, cover up guys over at the uh, the Warren. And Stern believes him because he's a nice guy, and he came on. Hey, I've seen Arl Inspector talk. You know, he can be pleasant. He uh, admitted that it looks like the anthrax attacks were indeed from inside source. He's the one that chaired the uh, the hearings. Uh, regarding able danger, you know, he was one of the few guys that showed up. Biden was another one. We just mentioned Biden. So I thought I'd, I'd give Joey B a little plug there as well. But there it is. Howard still wants to cling on to the fact that Oswald acted alone. He doesn't want to look into 9-11. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell, big ups. Way to, way to keep it on. Way not to back down. Way not to avoid the, the question. You and Jesse Ventura are tops on my list. I mean, Ventura is on another level because, you know, he was the governor and he is just fearless. He commands respect. Ex-Navy SEAL, big guy, celebrity, you know, can bring more people in. But Rosie O'Donnell did it first. And uh, way to stick to your guns, Rosie. I'm sure we're going to post a story about that on, on, on Infowars.com, PrisonPlanet.com. I think we're actually the first to have the MP3. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to listen to the rest of that in a break. Check it out. Remember, Jim Tucker is going to be on momentarily. And Alex Jones and crew have uh, left to go to the Bilderberg Conference. Again, uh, not since 2002 has it been in Chantilly, Virginia. Uh, this seems like a, a bit of a stakeout. It looks like it's pretty well secluded. Uh, there's a little bit of video of what the hotel entrance looks like, where it's located in D.C. But what's worrying me most about this Bilderberg meeting is that it's going to be all easy for these guys to bring in other military officials, other insiders in Washington who wouldn't normally go to the meeting. And what do I mean by that? Well, this is a weekend retreat. This is not the two-week resort in Bohemian Grove where there's members and then there's guests and some people are flown in for a couple days with meetings with specific people. The Bilderberg Group is notorious for having a revolving list. For instance, uh, when uh, John Edwards was made to be the vice presidential nominee, he went to Bilderberg. Okay, uh, He doesn't go to Bilderberg every year. He's been to Bilderberg, I think, once since. But perhaps he'll be showing up for this next Bilderberg. It's my suspicion that he will be the vice presidential nominee. But they're going to bring, be able to bring in all sorts of generals, diplomats, and work out kind of side programs. Not everybody's on, in on everything, folks. 
So we're going to be back. We're going to be talking with uh, Jim Tucker about these subjects in Bilderberg. Infowars.com, PrisonPlanet.com. And remember, the stream's over at PrisonPlanet.tv. All right, folks, we're back. It's the Alex Jones Show. I'm Jason Burmis, subbing in as Alex ventures off to the Bilderberg Conference in Chantilly, Virginia. And on the line is a pioneer journalist who has covered the Bilderberg Conference for longer than anybody else. Uh, we carry his book. He's done an amazing amount of work and research to expose these guys. Uh, you know, he, he works for uh, American Free Press. He's constantly writing uh, real articles about real issues. Uh, his name is Jim Tucker. He's going to be meeting Alex Jones out there. Jim, it is a pleasure to talk to you. It's always fun, Alex. <laughs> now, you're, uh, you're down there right now. Have you, have you gotten to the conference yet? Are you down in Chantilly? Uh, no, but I'll be there early tomorrow morning. So you'll be there tomorrow to meet Alex and the gang. Uh, yeah. Very, 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 very exciting stuff. Now, I want to, before we discuss what you think is going to be on the table for this conference and who the attendees are, I want to flash back to 2002 uh, when they held this conference in the same place. Now, as I understand it, this was the first Bilderberg meeting uh, since 9-11 had occurred. And th they made some pretty, or, is it, or was it the second? Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, 2002 was the uh, uh, first Bilderberg meeting after 9/11, mm -hmm. and we time we thought that perhaps they picked Chantilly mm -hmm. uh, simply because it was convenient to Dulles Airport. And they were worried about terrorists striking again, and we all, all were afraid of another 9/11 size attack at that time. And uh, interestingly, at that meeting. It was the first time I've ever discerned a real split among Bilderberg. The European Bilderbergs opposed the upcoming invasion of Afghanistan and then, of course, Iraq. The uh, uh, Most American Bilderbergs favored it. But to uh, pacify the uh, Europeans, Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld trots out from the Pentagon on a Saturday to address Bilderberg. And in, in, in his address... He uh, promised there would be no invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan this year, being that year of 2002. Mm -hmm. But uh, meanwhile, all the major newspapers, including the Washington Post and the York Times, L.A. Times, all controlled by Bilderberg, were saying that the invasion will come this year, late summer or early fall at the latest. Now, Jimmy Lee Hogan sat through that speech, as did uh, – of the Washington Associate Editor of the Washington Post, as did Graham, the publisher of the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. The Post has been represented at Bilderberg meetings since they first invented themselves in 1954. And he heard that. He knew there'd be a new invasion. But their loyalty to uh, speak nothing was so strong, he did not go back to his own newspapers. They stopped saying there'll be an invasion this year because there will not be. Do not ask me how I know, but I'm the Associate Editor. I do know. And the, the Donald Gray and the publisher could have said the same thing to the news staff. But no, they did not say a word about it. They let their own newspaper be wrong about it, along with the other newspapers. And, of course, the uh, New York Times and the LA Times and uh, Financial Times and so forth, uh, uh, they did not uh, report on that speech either. They just let the newspapers continue to be wrong. That is very high devotion to their sworn duty to reveal nothing. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is going to be on the table this year? Are we going to be talking Iran? Are we going to be talking uh, vice presidential candidates? I think that 
There's a reason that's in D.C. this year. I feel like it's going to be a lot easier for them to access, you know, Washington insiders, diplomats, military personnel, if they only want them to sit in on a half an hour or an hour long meeting instead of taking part in the entire conference. Uh, well, yes, it does make it easy for our bureaucrats to uh, duck over. Uh, for, for example, the United States has never attended Bilderberg except Bill Clinton did the year before he was elected his obscure governor. Arkansas in 1991, 1992 is elected president, mm -hmm. but as president, uh, none have dared to attend because every White House reporter is given uh, his daily schedule every day, size of a paperback Western novel, counting for every minute of his time. And there's no way he could uh, lock out even three hours in the middle of a day or evening and call it private time and get away with it. So they don't go. Mm -hmm. uh, but bureaucrats can. Of course, Rummy can roll over on Saturday. There's not much uh, uh, President Pentagon on Saturday. Uh, on most Saturdays, and rather obscurely, he does have to account for a couple of hours of his time on a Saturday morning. And he did, did make that promise. that It is easier for bureaucrats to duck in and give their marching orders when they're meeting in Washington. Although, wherever they meet, they have high officials in the uh, Treasury Department, State Department, Defense Department, uh, and uh, officials of the White House attending to get their orders. But now, it does make it more convenient. Now, in the, in the past few years, there's been a little bit more light shed on Builder. Daniel Estelans wrote his book. Uh, some mainstream medias in the Netherlands and even in Canada have now reported on it. Do you expect some sort of a turnout by any sort of mainstream journalist, or do you think it's going to be you, Alex, and a couple you know, rogue mm -hmm. journalists who are, who are not part of the mainstream? Uh, you summarize it pretty well because, as I've mentioned before, in Europe, we have heavy collaboration with uh, broadcasters and newspapers, but they're on a limited budget. Uh, we have a lot of newspapers, but uh, that competition means that there's not all that advertising revenue for any one newspaper, so they simply can't afford to send reporters across the pond. If they're on the continent, they'll have their reporters drive 800 miles mm -hmm. uh, or take a train. But the, uh, they, they just don't send them, uh, many of them, to... Uh, so what you're saying well, is the international press is probably going to have to rely on the information that you yourself get out of uh, Bilderberg, correct? Uh, yes, but they'll help back, too, because when uh, their guys get home, they'll torture them a bit. Sometimes some information escapes. Gotcha. And then they feed that to us. We confirm and go with it. Now, have you so, gotten a have you have have you gotten a list of who's going to be attending yet? That's the great Jim Tucker. We're going to go over to premium end of the broadcast. Continue that interview. We may or may not have time for uh, the G. Edward Griffin interview. I'm going to make sure that I get that debunking clip for tomorrow. I think that's really important, and I think I'm going to have some of the coordinating information. Maybe even stuff uh, from Loose Change, Final Cut, up and running, so we can really get into depth of the controlled demolition uh, that took place at World Trade Centers 1, 2, and 7 that day, period. Happened. That's a fact, Jack. Okay? I think that's important. Bilderberg on a scope is more and more important. In fact, Tuckins, and I'm not talking about Jim Tucker, lots of Tucker today. Okay, Tuckins, that's something you should be focusing on as well. Okay, let's get ahead of that.
That'd be awesome. So I want to encourage everybody to come on over to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. Uh, do it to it for only $1 for the first week, $10 a month or $100 for the year. Lock it in, support the broadcast, support independent media or listen for free over on Podbean. You can listen to the rest of the show right now live. Uh, check out the Info Warrior channel at Podbean or after the fact, get it on the RSS feed via mp3 again we we want to give the information out there and then if you follow me on twitter at jason burmas you'll see a long list of free premiums because every two weeks those go free as well uh, there's one out right now getting into um unzip jeans martine rothblatt and so much more uh that i think is a must watch so uh make sure to check that out i'm going to give the cue to the producer to go over to the other side and we're going to say goodbye to you guys one at a time again redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored for the rest of the show rockfin we will see you on the flip later on youtube it's been a trip goodbye xsplit aka twitter and we are done from the rumbling as well all right, we'll just wait for that text, and then we will get back into a true pioneer of journalism and a young man who was lucky enough to be along for the ride in some of the initial internet streaming broadcasts when literally nobody else was doing it like Alex Jones was doing it via PrisonPlanet.tv. You know, all the daily wires of the world and all that stuff, and even Red Voice Media now with the RVM network, you know, rocking it with... Uh, Matt Couch and uh, Drew Burquist and Chad Canton, Alicia Powell, so many more. Uh, a daily schedule to kill. Uh, has a lot to look at InfoWars and be like, damn, doing it big time. All the way back in 2008, 15 years ago. We are good to go. Let's get back into it with Jim Tucker. Uh, no, and they're going to try hard uh, not to provide a list. They're, they're still hoping that the, uh, there'll be no attention, that the meeting will be completely unreported. And uh, now in the past, when they say no list, never, ever, and they've realized, and this is more typical of Europe, that there are so many people identified going in, that they'll look like asses if they don't, then they'll put it on the Internet. Then it's still possible they'll put, uh, dump it on the Internet uh, next Monday. Uh, well, uh, yeah, next Monday. But I doubt it because I think that we need to identify as many by sight as we can going in mm -hmm. and use other means to find out who's there and publish as many names as possible. As best you can tell, what's on the table? Is who's going to be the vice president nomination for the Democrats and the Republicans? Is it who's going to be the presidential nomination for the Democrats? Is it going to be Iran? Is it going to be the economy? Is it going to be all of these issues? Uh, all of these things on the presidential level. They already are confident that they own all three candidates, McCain, Obama, and Hillary. If she pulls off a miracle of some kind, they own them all, and uh, all will support, regardless of political posture, all will support NAFTA, extending NAFTA. In fact, uh, uh, Jimmy Lee Hogan of the Washington Post is going to be uh, speaking at the Bilderberg meeting, uh, uh, explaining how Americans have to learn how to 
uh, pool, pool sovereignty is this new term. Oh, so they're basically uh, going to be talking about the North American Union a lot here, too. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, Americans must be educated to accept the pooling of their sovereignty so we can build a strong uh, economic uh, union here in North America. And, of course, we all know where, where that's supposed to lead to the... Uh, yeah, this has been on the agenda for quite some time now. We have the SPP documents, the Securities and Prosperity Partnerships, where Bush, Vicente Fox, and the President of Canada got together uh, without the American people's knowledge, without the Canadians' people's knowledge, uh, decided they were going to build this superstructure of four super highways gutting through the country and uh, pass all these trade agreements that will essentially deteriorate our borders both along Canada and Mexico and build this North American Union. We've had CAFTA since 2004. We've had NAFTA prior to that, and it really looks like they're ready to take that next step, Jim. Uh, uh, well, uh, yes, the uh, uh, next step as far as the world government, they've stepped toward uh, the American Union, the uh, European Union, uh, is this uh, North American free trade thing, NAFTA is to expand throughout the Western Hemisphere, as you know. Now, Bilderberg is behind schedule, though, uh, they're disappointed in themselves to some extent because in the 1990s, they were uh, confidently predicting that by the year 2000, we'd have an American a Union type of state of uh, a trade zone. Well, I feel now, like we keep pushing it back, Jim. Mm-hmm. We have to, we just have to keep fighting. Like, like we fought it, uh, like the founders fought in Valley Forge, we have to keep fighting for our sovereignty and our nationhood. Well, well, I agree with you there, and I think we keep pushing back their plan, although incrementally it does seem to keep moving forward. Now, last year you said that it was on the table that they were discussing Ron Paul and this patriot movement problem they were having. Do you think that they're going to be discussing Ron Paul again this year? Uh, yes, because uh, they worried about uh, the permanency of Ron Paul at the, the Trilateral Commission meeting in March a couple of weeks ago. Did you know? The Trilateral Commission is their junior varsity. They have interlocking leadership, mm-hmm. uh, common agenda. In fact, the uh, uh, Trilateral agenda tells us much about the Bilderberg agenda because they're very much the same. Mm-hmm. I, I have uh, heard that. I did not know that they discussed Ron Paul yet again at the Trilateral uh, meeting. That's that's a big story right there, Jim. I, I mean, what are they trying to do, to contain him, to get him out of office altogether? Uh, I mean, he has a number one book on the New York Times best-selling list, it's going to be hard to keep this guy silent. I mean, they've done a poor job in doing so. And the fact that they uh, are worried about Ron Paul, promotes Ron Paul among our readers and your and your viewers, uh, well, they're concerned, they express their concern that he's educating a, a, a young generation of Americans. And he absolutely in, is. In, nationalism which is a wicked term in their view absolutely it's jim tucker we'll be back after this is the alex jones show all right we are back it is the alex jones show i am jason burma subbing in for alex for the rest of the week as he's out at bilderberg with jim tucker who we have on the line i want to remind people that the money bomb is still going on until friday we're going to release the totals uh, after we get all the checks and everything else on friday let you know how much we've made we made over two hundred thousand dollars to go towards a new television station uh, you know, that fights the info war, folks. I'm very psyched up for that. Uh, I'm going to be playing more of that Stern clip in a little while, and we're going to take your phone calls in the last half hour of the show. I want to let people know that I have a little website, uh, loosechange911.com. You can go check out my blog. I just uh, posted, I think, five or six clips of Mineta describing what happened in the PEOC on 
And we update that every every day or so. And if you want to get a hard copy, a loose change, we would appreciate it. Uh, you can make copies, hand those films out. It's been very effective so far. Uh, getting back to Jim Tucker, an amazing journalist for, geez, Jim, you've been covering Bilderberg for what, almost 30 years now? Are you with us, Jim? Yeah. How, how long have you been covering Bilderberg? Since, uh, well, uh, since 1975 when the spotlight was introduced to the end. Wow, American so that's 30, 30 plus years. 30 plus well, years. Originally from the desk, I was desk bound. Mm -hmm. Then I started doing it myself a few years later. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen some, some amazing specials on you on this information. When I was first introduced to Bilderberg, you were the main guy, the guy that's been going out there for years and years and years and talking about how, how, could, you, how could this organization exist and you not know it, and then to find out who it consists of how it's part of this elite control over the world, over the world towards this one world government agenda. It's mind blowing stuff. And I'd like to get your take on what you think the plan there is for the Middle East. What are they going to be talking about? Are they going to be talking about Iran, uh, how to provoke an attack, uh, how to go into Iran? What, what do you think? I think the European uh, will, will oppose the uh, invasion of Iran for which as you know, our public is being politically conditioned to uh, use necessary for our survival in all of that uh, uh, jazz. I think the Europeans will oppose that, even as they opposed the invasion of Iraq and uh, Afghanistan. Oh, uh, by the way, I wish we had more off-air time to talk, but I was told to stand by for, call it 3 o'clock our time, or about 15 minutes, and today's our deadline, so we'll have to hurry this along a little bit. Okay, sure. Uh, whenever you have to go, just let me know. So, so do you, do you think that uh, Iran is going to be? Well, what do you think they're going to decide? Are they going to decide to back off, wait for a new administration to come in, or do you think that they're more likely to say, let's uh, let's provocate an event to get us into Iran during the transition period, you know, before after the elections? What what are Jim Tucker's thoughts on the matter? I think, to their credit, I can't remember ever saying this before, that the Europeans will pressure the. Uh, U.S. government not to invade and leave, leave it dangle uh, for the uh, next uh, man in the White House to deal with. I mean, think about that. Like, Tucker got a lot of this right, too. And I do want to point out, I was calling Joe Biden, Joey B, even then. And I do also believe that this is the first year, or no, actually, it might be the year after this, that the Guardian, a.k.a. Charlie Skelton, also starts covering Bilderberg. So, again, a pioneer, a pioneer in alternative media right here. And I was just so lucky to be able to interview this guy. Uh, I think they'll just pressure Bush to uh, not do it as badly as he wants to do it. And, uh, of course, the, as the whole world knows, troops are spread too thin. We're now recruiting for combat through age 42, but in all of World War II, the combat age limit was 30, uh, was at age 38. We're now accepting felons uh, and fat guys into the service who would not qualify in World War II. We're spread thin in the, uh, the so-called no-draft years, although the backdoor draft, as we've mentioned, exists when they say, even though your term is up, uh, we're not going to let you go for three more years because we need you. Mm -hmm. Now, the recruiting uh, sergeant did not tell the recruit that he 
totally delisted for three years, we can make you stay six years. But but all that's happening. I'll have to tell you goodbye very shortly. There, any last uh, anyone? No, Jim. Questions? I just I just wish you the best over at Bilderberg. I I hope you and Alex get some great material. I hope you'll be checking in with Alex in the next few days. And God bless yes, you, I sir. Will be. And I, and I and I you know I got to commend you for all the great work that you have done for this country. And uh, you know just keep moving along. People are listening, Jim. Okay, thank you very much, and I'll be talking to you from the Bilderberg thing, I think, Thursday or Friday, Alex said. All right, yes, definitely. All right, that's Jim Tucker, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of the great patriots of this nation, one of the true journalists that's uh, that's going after. I keep hitting that damn button. I'm sorry, guys, I have a... Uh... <laughs> see if I, yep, I know, I, I know. I have a uh, plumber here that just got here that I got a phone call with and I had planned on, I had this leak going on for two days, just chaotic here at the Burmas household. So <laughs> Tucker calls me Alex twice, I think in that, even though he knows Alex is on the way and he meets Alex there, Tucker stuck around, man. He was there in 2012. He, uh, you can see him in shade the motion picture that guy did it till he died and i gotta tell you i plan on doing the same damn thing that's the kind of passion this kind of work takes that you end up just kind of dedicating yourself to letting people know about this information because it is so important that's how i felt about it that's why 15 years later i'm still doing this and i feel uh blessed and lucky to be able to do it by by all means so we're gonna ride this out this i think there's about 20 more minutes of that broadcast i, I continue to talk about the bilderberg group uh bill clinton in particular and then i believe uh that i have another interview with g edward griffin where uh, we discuss even more about 9 11 as well coming up so here we go the real stories well, it looks like uh, we got another break coming up already. Uh, Infowars.com, PrisonPlanet.com, LooseChange911.com. I'm Jason Burmis. We'll be back after this. PrisonPlanet.tv to check out the video feed. Like to have All right, folks, it's the Alex Jones Show. We are back. And uh, I'm going to be playing a couple clips, taking a couple phone calls right now. Uh, the first clip I want to play before I get back to the Rosie O'Donnell, Building 7, on Howard Stern, dropping some bombs. I want to play Bill Clinton admitting to attending the Bilderberg Conference. Now, not only does he admit to attending the Bilderberg Conference, but he also admits that they set policy there. He, however, denies that he was involved in setting any policy. He was there uh, to talk to some Europeans about what was going to happen in Russia. But he surely does admit, hey, I've been to the Bilderberg Conference. It does exist. It's not some kind of made-up thing. And then his wife gets confronted by student scholars for 9-11 Truth, and she acts like she doesn't know what it is. My husband, I don't know. But we all know she more than likely attended in 2006 in Canada. All right, let's play this little Clinton clip. Let me see if I can get the, the video for the, uh, the viewers out there. Probably not. I'm not that good at it. All right, we'll hit play anyway. And boom. Wait, whoa, whoa. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. Uh, look, look, this is the deal, folks. All these people that are paranoid about the world come and scream at me everywhere. 
All right, I'll answer. Okay. Now wait a minute. You. Now you. You said you would go if I answered the question, right? You said you would go if I answered the question. You said you would go if I answered the question. You said you would go if I answered the question. All right. Here's the answer. I happened to be in Europe then on my way to Russia. I was invited to go to Bilderberg by Vernon Jordan, a friend of mine and a genuine hero of the civil rights movement. And to the best of my knowledge, NAFTA was not discussed by anybody in my presence. I was talking to people who happened to be from Europe who did not give a rip about NAFTA. Number one. <laughs> number, number two. Okay. Number two. I tried to get labor and environmental standards in that agreement, but I couldn't because it was all negotiated when I got there. Number three, when I was president, we enforced our trade laws five times as much as the Bush administration did. We gained manufacturing jobs. Wait a minute. We gained manufacturing jobs in six of the eight years I was president. They've lost manufacturing jobs in every year. We had 22.9 million new jobs. They've had five million. Family incomes went up $7,500 a year when I was president. They're down a thousand dollars now. We had almost eight million people. So, so I was not, I had, I had a very good time talking to those Europeans about European affairs and what was going to happen to Russia, but I was not somehow polluted by it into sacrificing America's economic interests. America did a lot better when I was president than they have in this decade. And that's the truth. Now, goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, the king of spin. It's unbelievable. The man can admit to going to Bilderberg, admit that this secret meeting sets policy in Europe and America, and the people cheer him like he is a god. Man, you're good, Clinton. You are slick, buddy. You had me tricked when you were in office. I'm not going to lie. A little more ignorant then, but boy, you're good, man. You're really good. Did you hear the rabbit fans? <sighs> oh, Bill, you're so good. <sighs> the economy. <sighs> Meanwhile, he's a puppet of the elite. He ran coke for the family in the 80s at Amina, Arkansas. It's time to wake up to reality. But according to Stern and his crew, conspiracies don't exist. And that's why we're going to play this second half of the clip of Rosie O'Donnell uh, discussing uh, World Trade Center Building 7 and Willie Rodriguez with the group over at Stern. Here we go. I actually do. do. I do believe he acted alone. I asked Donald Inspector about it. It makes sense to me. Well, that's okay. If it makes sense to you, that you know, look into it. Building seven, hit by no plane. Can I tell you something? Fred went to the uh, book depository, you know, yeah. where where yeah. Kennedy, you know, right. where Lee Harvey Oswald did his thing, and he said, "You are so close. You are so close you to could, that motor." You could have thrown a rock at JFK, and you would have killed him. And I think what it, I think I was thinking about that whole nine eleven thing and the JFK thing. We get a lot of email about that. People saying, "No, it's a conspiracy." I think when there's a, a catastrophic event that you have no explanation for, it just kind of takes you by surprise. I think psychologically, you, yeah. can you, I you, you put it in the conspiracy box, and some, for some reason, it makes you feel better. You can, can sleep Can I tell you something? Night. I'm one of those people who thinks Lee Harvey Oswald knocked down building number seven. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know how you know who you have. But that's not to say that Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't doing it at the behest of somebody else. That's well, true. the question is, why did the planes have to fly in the buildings first? Well, here's something that you should do, Howard. You should get this guy, Willie Rodriguez. For 20 years, he was the janitor in building two. Right. He cleaned all the stairwells. He had the only pass key for building two. He let the firemen in and up. He was the only one with strong enough legs to do it. The firemen were stopping. They had all this stuff on their back. This guy 
has gone on every country and talked about what happened to him, what he heard before the planes, the people who were burned in the basement, why they were burned when a plane hit the top. Hmm. I think you need to get him on the show. His All mom, right, I will. Rodriguez. All right. Are you friends with Britney Spears? All right, so he says he's going to have uh, Rodriguez on. Uh, Willie, please contact Howard. I'd love to hear you on uh, on Mr. Stern. I think you'd be a great guest. I think that uh, your story may may have them actually question the official version. You know, the one thing I can't agree with uh, on, and I'm a big fan of the Stern show. I've grown up with it, is that this somehow makes me feel more comfortable that my government may have been involved, that we haven't been told the truth about 9-11. No. I was a lot more comfortable when I thought it was dudes in a cave over in the desert that we could bomb. A lot more comfortable. In fact, I lost weeks of sleep. I have now dedicated my life to exposing the lie that is 9-11 because our entire foreign and domestic policy has been based on that lie. And I feel no such comfort in the fact that Cheney allowed the Pentagon attack to happen. I feel no such comfort that the insider trading went back to U.S. interests. I feel no such comfort that FBI whistleblowers like Robert Wright, John O'Neill, and others were silenced before and after 9-11. I find no comfort in that. With that being said, let's start to take some calls. Let's go to our first caller in Colorado, Steve. Steve, are you with me? Yeah, hi there. I had uh, questions on some things that you had mentioned. Who was the associate editor editor of, um, the, I guess it was maybe the New York Times, Donald Graham, uh, Donald Graham's newspaper. Who was the associate editor that you said went to Bilderberg in 02? I'm not quite sure. Jim Tucker might have mentioned that. I, 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 If Jim was still here, I'd have him answer the question. I'm not sure who oh. that associate editor was. Oh, okay. All right. And then um, do you know who it was that Reagan was going to initially uh, pick as his vice president? Uh, uh, not Certainly not Bush. No, it wasn't Bush, but I, I'm not quite sure. I, I, I have seen a couple clips of their debates when uh, – Bush was still in the running for the presidency, and they seem to have some pretty different viewpoints. And as far as I know, it was the powers that be that said, look, you got to take this guy as your running mate. And I mean, if you look at George H.W. Bush's history, he supposedly becomes the head of the CIA out of nowhere. Then he's thrust into the position of vice president under an actor for eight years and then into the presidency. And then the next guy who becomes president is the guy who was running drugs from Mena, Arkansas for him. Okay, yep. I mean, that stuff is, is crazy to me. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with the continuity of government program or shatter, shadow right, government go-go. program, but that was uh, started by the National Programs Office in the early 80s. And guess who our shadow government president was back then? It was none other than George H.W. Bush, as reported on by CNN. And Cheney has been in the succession program since its inception. And I truly believe that... Uh, at least for public consumption, he still is the upper echelons of this shadow government. Okay. Um, let's see. Also, you had mentioned earlier about, I think you said a guy by the name of Carl Cameron had a story uh, on the um, on the filming of the first aircraft going into the World Trade Center. Well, what, what Carl Cameron and uh, Britt Hume did was they did a four-part series on the people that had been detained before, during, and after 9-11, and those people were actually part of of the uh, detainees now they don't mention the uh recording of the attack themselves they go more into uh the ring what the fbi had to say about it how they had a classified role in 9-11 how this israeli spying was using art students how it had uh infiltrated the fbi the cia the secret service the dea all these different departments and that they had done so earlier in the late 90s 
uh, to the Los Angeles Police Department and basically compromise all these people. And they did so through Amdocs, Converse, and this front as Israeli art students. Now, they also used ur- urban moving systems who these other people who were detained were connected to. Uh, I would suggest typing in uh, Israelis detained or Israelis uh, record first attack, and you can actually watch them admit on that television show that they were there to record the event. Okay, and then the last thing is, uh, do you know of any particular videos that that, uh, actually have any footage of the first aircraft uh, hitting the World Trade Center? There are two videos of uh, what hit the World Trade Center, the first aircraft. There is, of course, the famous Naudé Brothers film uh, where where the uh, firefighter is sitting there uh, looking for a gas leak or something, and then they film it first. And then there was another gentleman who was on the freeway just kind of taped, and you can barely see the plane. You see like a little dot, and then the tower explode, and uh, a little bit of a zoom in, but you really can't make much out of it. Now, as far as I know, this third uh, tape that the Israelis took has still been classified and has never been released. Uh, I see. Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, You got it, Steve. Thank you for the call. Let's go to John in Ohio. John, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. um, Before I get to my point, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, It's uh, far from comforting to think that a military-industrial media oil corporation uh, complex is running our lives, is killing millions of people around the world, lying to us threatening us and will even kill the president. That, that, that kind of a throwaway line has been used by everybody. It's so tiresome. But uh, what I wanted to really mention to Jones, uh, Alex Jones, if you could pass it on, uh, the local station here, John in Alabama, runs his show, has abruptly uh, flushed him down the toilet after he built up an audience and ratings for them, and has, of all people, uh, substituted this uh, arch uh, vile neocon, the worst of them, Michael Savage. Oh uh, his absolute uh, opposite ideologically, and this this uh, uh, this uh, Canton station, Canton, Ohio station, is WCER. And uh, if anyone wants to call him, I would give the, the phone number uh, for the you know to, to complain. Um, about I would this. say I would say post it, and we'll post a story over at infowars.com. I don't want to give it out over the radio okay. just because WCER Radio, Canton, Ohio. And uh, I also wanted to mention that. Uh, you know, the lies uh, were being told uh, that, uh, at least in halfway fashion, have been brought up by McClellan. Uh, you know, it has, I think, much more powerful interest coming from someone like him, even though it's halfway. Because I, I got to think there's this kind of split you're talking about, that even people that are loyal mouthpieces for uh, these crazies in the White House are not willing to go to the point of... Uh, uh, an attack on Iran, and this absolutely does destroy some more of his credibility. And I think there's a, a, a real need to ring the alarm bells, as even uh, Ray McGovern said on the Jones program a, a while back. Uh, a country like Israel, which is so heavily involved, along with our own military complex, uh, knows it can get away with virtually anything if it can bomb an American ship, a murder American soldiers and get away with it throughout all of these years uh, with Republicans, Democrats, and the media. And in and, and, and that kind of a situation, I think the exposure of uh, Israel's crimes uh, has to be uh, broken through in the media. Uh, this kind of sacred cow status that it has, uh, David Worms recently also left the administration, said that Cheney was trying to get Israel to attack Iran so that we could use them to launder our own attack when they... Uh, had to retaliate against uh, Israel. Uh, you know, this valiant stalwart ally, so-called, of the United States, has to be uh, defended by the United States. This is one scenario that I think 
we have to knock down by knocking down the. Uh, the well, there is no doubt that Israel is definitely a powerful arm of this, uh, you know, military-industrial complex apparatus. I thank you for the call. One more thing. Uh, uh, well, I, I just let him go uh, by accident, folks. I'm sorry about that. But WCER over in Canton, Ohio, getting rid of Jones for Michael Savage. That makes me a little nauseous. I mean, Michael Savage is just about the worst of the worst. I mean, I guess Limbaugh might be a little bit worse, but Michael Savage, no good, folks. Talk about talk about your lies. Talk about just blind support of the power structure. That is Michael Savage. All right, let's go to uh, John in Alabama. John, are you with me? Yes, Jason. Uh, uh, shout out to you uh, and uh, the other guys uh, involved in Loose Chains. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, there doesn't seem to be a discernible 9-11 truth movement here in North Alabama, there are a number of patriots. One of them is uh, running for the House of Representatives seat vacated by uh, by Bud Kramer. Uh, he's a fellow named George Berry. He uh, asked another one of the candidates uh, if they supported the SPP, and he does not. So I'm going to stop that one there, and I really want to get to the G. Edward Griffin interview and i want to i also want to point out i, I miss doing the uh call-ins i think ones are great you know we're doing the call-ins right here you're hearing conversations we're going over stuff and notice guys that i was no big fan of rush limbaugh or michael savage back in the day they were pushing the iraq war and 9-11 and terrorism and look where it got us and that kind of circles back to the beginning of the show when we were talking about Tucker Carlson having his mea culpa moment saying, yeah, we're part of the control apparatus. That's the media's job. Okay. So let me just do a little dicka dicka do here and uh, find right where I begin interviewing Mr. G. Edward Griffin. I think right around here. All right, Dan. I, hey, hey, I, I do think that a lot of those guys just went around and towed the party line. I mean, their audio tapes were out there. Their recollections were out there. Secondary explosions everywhere. I thank you for the call. I hope you call in tomorrow. We're with Justin Martell, Student Scholars. Feels good fighting the New World Order. I'm not going to lie. I hate these globalists with every essence of my being. And uh, it is an honor. So so that is a, a wrap-up right there. Don't worry. We, we This is actually the right clip. It's just an hour-long clip. And we do want to go to Geo or Griffin first. That that's a wrap up with myself and uh, Justin Martell, who's still a good friend of mine and uh, doing amazing things. In fact, he's 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 a traveler, man. He's international. Student scholars for 9/11 Truth. Hopefully, this revs it right up to G. Edward. No, but I have I know all about uh, that. Is in one of the lectures. I'll get into that uh, in about ten minutes with G. Edward Griffin. Popularity of the Patriot movement. It's getting Edward Griffin on the line. He is an accomplished author and speaker. I've been lucky enough to see his lectures on both the New World Order and the creation of the Federal Reserve Banking System. I've also been lucky enough to sit down and have dinner with the man a couple times. He is a true patriot and a scholar working on a new book right now. Uh, Mr. Griffin, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Jason. How are you? I'm very well. So let's just get right into it. It's Bilderberg time. What do you think is going to be on the table in this elitist meeting with 125 people? Oh, boy, you know, I've never even thought about that, but it doesn't take much of a, of a genius to figure out what they're working on. They're, they've got two agendas. Uh, this is coming to mind as I speak, so I think there are two basic agendas. Mm -hmm. One is how to 
uh, push the uh, final closure on the new world order as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And the other agenda is how to keep people like you and me from messing up their plans. Well, it's becoming yeah. ever increasingly difficult with the uh, the Internet and, uh, you know, the widespread popularity of the Patriot movement, especially after Ron Paul's run for the presidency. Yes, it's very it's getting difficult. Of course, they've anticipated that. Uh, we, we know that mm-hmm. they, they knew that there would be opposition. I don't think in the long range they really anticipated how much impact the Internet would have uh, in being able to give people a means of, of running around uh, the controlled media. But they certainly have the picture now, which is, I think, why they're almost at a frenzy speed to control the Internet and to turn it over to international uh, monitoring and international control at the U.N., uh, because they want to, uh, they want to prevent, uh, you know, political dissent, want to prevent uh, distribution of information and facts. And they want to do it, of course, in the name of protecting the people. So they'll always be talking about stopping pornography or, or terrorism or crime or, you know, something like that. So the people will say, oh, good for you. I'm glad you're doing that. But meanwhile, their real motive, we know, is just to get control over the flow of information so that they can control the Internet just the way they now control radio and television and and print media. Absolutely. And you know they love to pose as our saviors when they are anything but our saviors. They are working towards eroding our sovereignty, destroying our economy, and bringing us into a North American Union so that they can get their new world order. And this is really their term for it. Uh, Mr. Griffin, I mean, we have people like George H.W. Bush, Dick Cheney, uh, let me think, uh, Blair, Gordon Brown, uh, Henry Kissinger, all on tape using this, this, I guess, ambiguous term for global governance. Well, it is an ambiguous term, and, and of course, they're masters at using words so that they sound good, and people don't know what they mean, but as long as they sound good and give you that nice feeling uh, inside, they, they accomplish their mission there's been quite a, a uh, science built up in the last uh, five or six decades uh, since the introduction of psychology as a uh, as a social science, I guess you'd call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have been preferring means by which they can create impressions using words not as a means of communication, but as a means of obfuscation and as a means of uh, you know bewildering and confusing people rather than informing people. And they're quite good at that now. It's a new science. And you have to admire the skill with which they apply that science. And, of course, the average person who's not aware that he's the target of that is, is pretty uh, pretty easily influenced. He's like putty in their hands. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's going on right now. It's control for the mind. And as uh, your show says, it's, it into, it's an info war. That's really what it is because people are computers. Our minds are like computers. The smarter we are, the more high-powered the computer is, which means the more easily it can be programmed with garbage. Computers are not inherently smart. They're inherently fast, perhaps, or inherently complex and can do all kinds of things. But if you put false information, false data into a computer, it's going to come up with false solutions. In the same way with the human mind, if you put false data, false news, false uh, information into the human mind, uh, you can program the human mind just like you can program a computer. And, of course, that's what I was talking about a moment ago. That's the science of mind control. It's far advanced today. Yeah, it is very far advanced. And, uh, you know, there's a guy out there. His name is Darren Brown, and uh, he's big over in the U.K., but he really exposes how fragile uh, the human mind really is and how how easily we really are influenced through subliminals and other techniques. 
And I, I recently watched uh, this National Geographic special on U.S. mind control. And, of course, they admit to MKUltra. They even bring up Sirhan Sirhan as a possible Manchurian candidate. But overall, at the end, of course, they say, well, they haven't done this in years and it wasn't really useful and they weren't able to program everybody. So it's time to go back to sleep. Why, yeah. why don't you speak to that? Well, naturally, if you know, if people are catching on to uh, something that you want to hide and the facts are out there in the open, uh, you cannot deny it forever. So the next best move is say, oh, yeah, well, it's true. Hey, absolutely, it's true. And isn't it terrible? I agree with you. It's terrible, and I'm glad they put an end to it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and stop asking <laughs> questions. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this whole issue of mind control came up, and, and uh, at least in my mind, during the commercial, before you introduced me to the show, Alex talking about the New World Order, and then you mentioned it again uh because it was uh, George Bush Sr. that introduced the phrase into, uh, you know, to popular usage. Mm -hmm. And that brought up the issue of how nice that sounds, the new world order. And even a global government or world government may sound pretty nice to people. And I think it's time to stop uh, fighting it on the basis of global government, because you might say, well, what is wrong with world government? And the answer really, well, nothing is wrong with world government until you decide what kind of world government we're talking about. If it was a world government based on the principles of, uh, of freedom force, for example, with individual liberty and freedom and respect for everybody's culture uh, and the use of uh, non-coercion in, uh, in social activities and political activities, it might be a pretty good world to live in. But believe me, folks, this is not the kind of world government that these guys are talking about they're using is not the model of freedom force. They're using the model of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. They're using the collectivist model of total control over the lives of every human being. So the issue is not really whether it's global government or not, or national government. Uh, the issue is what kind of government. And I wish more people would start talking about that. Mm -hmm. Because even if we retain our sovereignty and stay out of global government, we can still be in pretty deep trouble if we adopt the philosophy of collectivism as we have done right here in our in our nation. Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, our Constitution and Bill of Rights are virtually gone. We barely have a First Amendment. Now that, you know, the Patriot Acts 1 and 2 and parts of 3 have been signed into law, uh, Military Commissions Act of 2006, which uh, got rid of habeas corpus effectively for you and me, and now, you know, we don't even have the rights to face our accusers. It doesn't seem like we have a government that is just a government for and by the people as it was originally designed, a government with three branches that, that ran checks and balances on one another. It seems like anything that they don't want you to know about can now just be said, oh, national security can't talk about it. That's right. So it's all over. The, the system of government that we had, as, as beautiful as it was and as much as we cherished it and, and uh, you know defended it, it's been pretty well whittled away today, and uh, it's time for people to wake up to that fact. And even having woken up, having awakened to it, then they have to deal with the question, what are we going to do about it? You know, just being informed is not enough. And uh, so words, we're back to words. Uh, they can be used to communicate or they can be used to obfuscate. And, um, and manipulate. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? I am seeing people step up. For instance, you know, Alex went out to the Bilderberg meeting in 2006. There were about 15 people out there that knew what was going on, that were by Alex's side, that realized that these globalists 
don't have their best interests at, at heart, while the report today is between one and 200 people outside of Chantilly, Virginia, outside of the Marriott, protesting. Even the police seem to know what's going on. They're getting orders from the FBI and Secret Service to move these people. But the, the police are standing up for the protesters and saying, look, they have a First Amendment right. They're on a public sidewalk. You're going to have to leave them alone, which is very encouraging to me. That is very encouraging. I'm I'm surprised to hear it, but boy, that's good news, yes. Now, it's amazing news, and, and I know that we have it in us to step up and defeat this system. I, I remember you were on the show uh, not so long ago, and you were talking about how in times of great peril, uh, things are often uh, switched. They don't usually get what they want, especially tyrannical governments. Let me just stop it there. Um, just a couple points about what G. Edward Griffin talked about over the time period that I think is important. Number one, Bilderberg in a lot of circles is now common knowledge. Uh, we, we 15 years ago, it's taken a long time. But at the same time, the media has begun to ignore it again. Uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But G. Edward Griffin also talked about garbage in, garbage out with computer systems. And the same is true for AI. And we're seeing that uh, come into fruition via a chat GPT in particular. So, man, G. Edward Griffin's still around today. God bless him. But uh, so on point even then. All right, let's go back to the interview. A lot of time at the, at the darkest hour, we are able to turn this around. And, and I hope we can do that. I hope that we're waking up the masses. I hope that people are taking it upon themselves to write stories, start blogs, copy videos, spread, you know, G. Edward Griffin's books. I mean, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island is just an amazing account about how our economy truly works now. Well, you're certainly on target there, I, I think, Jason. Uh, we can have all these wonderful plans of what should be done, what must be done, and all these essays write about, you know, uh, this is how we're going to solve the problem. But unless we got the manpower, mm -hmm. unless we have the American people well enough informed that they understand what we're talking about and therefore support these reforms, then we're, we're just wasting our time. So as much as we'd like to say, you know, it's no longer time for education, let's get busy and solve these problems, we still have a big educational job ahead of us because we... It's just almost like guerrilla warfare. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the guerrillas can never succeed unless they have the support of the general population. So that's pretty much where we stand today. We've got to awaken our fellow citizens to the reality, and uh, we need their support. Even if they're not going to do much about it, that we, need, we need them to understand what it is we're talking about and support us when we bring about the reforms. Absolutely. And uh, you helped support us uh, this weekend when we did the uh, InfoWars mon money bomb. We made over uh, $200,000. We left it open until tomorrow, folks. And we're going to give out the grand total to start a new television show, a new network, hopefully on Dish TV, where we do an hour long show, uh, you know, like a 60 Minutes, like a 2020, without the spin, with the real story, with the true grit. The reality that the American people need to see, they need to understand just because Obama is a great speaker and his logo is change you can vote for doesn't mean there's going to be any real change. The man behind the man is Zygmunt Brzezinski, uh, you know, trilateral commission, CFR, top level globalist. Why, why don't you speak to that? Well, that's what we were just talking about before, how words can be used to obfuscate change well that's wonderful i suppose but what change nobody's talking about what the change is the, the change only is in the change of the name the change of the of the candidate now replace bush with uh, obama i suppose that's change well it is in a way 
But when you get down to the nitty-gritties of the policies that they support, uh, you're quite right. Uh, they're part of the CFR agenda. They're totally locked into it. And, uh, and so nothing is really going to change at a fundamental level. Wow, isn't it time that, that the American people pick up on this? You know, it's, it's like, I'm not a tennis player, but I understand that tennis players, uh, uh, if they're up against an opponent, they, they better study their opponent's uh, serve very carefully so they don't fall for it er- time and time and time again. And yet the American voters are falling for the same uh, uh, serve, the same sliced serve, every two or every four years. And I, I don't know how they expect to win the game. They're not going to. They wake up to the tricks of their opponent. Well, that's why the Internet is so powerful. And I think that some of these YouTube videos that only have you know, two or 15,000 hits need two or 15 million hits, especially the ones where Bill Clinton recently admits that he indeed did attend the Bilderberg Conference when he was out in Europe. He denies that he was there to set up a North Union or even discuss any U.S. policy at all. He said, well, I was there and uh, I talked to some Europeans about what was going to happen in Russia. And then I played a clip earlier of the student scholars for 9-11 Truth uh, asking Hillary Clinton if she attended the conference in 2006. And she's like, what conference? I don't even know what it is. And then they say, well, your husband attended. And she kind of nods. Oh, I really can't tell you. I just don't know. All right, thanks. And uh, <laughs> We Are Change just confronted both of them. I, can only play, I could only play half the clip because, you know, these rabid Clinton supporters start to get violent. They start to curse at him. They start to grab the camera. But when they ask Bill Clinton, you know, why doesn't the media cover Bilderberg? He's I don't know. I haven't been there in 15 years. Well, I yeah. think he went in 99, so it was a little little uh, sooner than 15 years ago. And he knows damn well why the media is not outside reporting on it. It's because they're on the inside helping the agenda. Yeah, that's right. They're very much a part of the mechanism. So, uh, Well, yeah, but it's encouraging to see that gradually, ever so gradually, like water slowly coming up inside the well. Uh, the water level is rising. The, the level of understanding is rising. I wish it would come up a little faster, but heck, it's coming up, and uh, that's what's important. Absolutely, and uh, you know we have to keep informing people. We have to spread the message. And again, uh, G. Edward Griffin's books are, are top-notch, folks. Now you're working on a new new book. I, I've talked to you about a, a little bit about this. Why don't you tell the audience about your new project? Well, it's uh, embarrassing in a way because I've been working on it now, uh, technically ever since 9/11. Mm-hmm. A couple of days after 9/11, I decided, oh, I've got to. I've got to pull together this topic and, and produce a book. And I thought I would do it in about, a, you know, maybe a year and a half. And I'm still struggling along on it because not that I'm failing to get the information down on paper so much as that I'm crowded with other things that take up my day. Uh, but anyway, the, I'm still working on it. And I'm going to say it's probably about 65 to 70% done. And the title of it, the tentative title is The Freedom Manifesto. That was the title I, I jotted down uh, what days after 9-11, and I still think it's a good title, but now we see that uh, Congressman Paul's book uh, uses the word manifesto, so I, I, may not, I may not stick with that title. But did you ever think in America we were going to have a New York Times number one best-selling book with manifesto in the title? <laughs> Which isn't fiction, no, you know, maybe maybe a fiction book, but not not something written by a congressman who, you know, raised more money than anybody else in the Republican uh, candidacy yeah. for president. Yeah, not by anybody that's speaking the truth, that's for sure. 
but there it is. And uh, so it just proves that miracles can happen. Absolutely. But look at the media blackout on that. I mean, anybody yeah. with a number one bestseller on the New York Times uh, list is on Oprah. They're on every night talk show. They've got a dedicated hour on Larry King Live. But we haven't seen that with Mr. Paul. We've seen <laughs> some sparse media appearances where he seems to be attacked, even though he's a bestselling author. Yeah. Uh, well, it just proves what, we, what we've been saying about the, the bias in the media. And uh, but anyway, that's wonderful news. And as far as my own book is concerned, um, it's it would be quite it is going to be quite different than uh, Paul's book. Uh, Paul is uh, focusing correctly, I think, focusing on political issues and themes which are of particular interest to uh, uh, people who are kind of new to the movement, want to know how to vote and what's going on in the political arena. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mine, you know how I do things. I can't start. With today, I've got to get a run on it, and so I go back in history. You like to peel and back the layers. I have to go back, to, yeah, peel back the layers, dig down to the roots, and uh, because otherwise, I don't think you can understand today if you don't really understand yesterday. It's a continuity, you know, and you certainly won't understand tomorrow if you don't see where today came from. Those so anyway, who don't know their I'm past are doomed to repeat it in the future. We have one more segment with G. Edward Griffin. After this, it's the Alex Jones Show. I'm Jason Burmis, Infowars.com, PrisonPlanet.com. Strange days have found us. All right, folks, it's the final segment of the Alex Jones Show. I just want to remind every, everybody out there, if you missed any of this four-hour broadcast, and it was a powerful four-hour broadcast with Rob Jacobson, uh, Alex Jones, and Luke Rudowski all calling in from Bilderberg, you can go to InfoWars.com, and the refeed starts in about six minutes. Uh, that's InfoWars.com. If you want to get at me, MySpace.com slash Jason Burmis. We're on the line with G. Edward Griffin, an accomplished author and speaker. And before you go, uh, Mr. Griffin, I, I'd like to get your take on Iran. In the last couple of days, I've been doing a lot of interviews. I talked to Daniel Estelon. He thinks that Iran is off the table. He feels like the European sect of this elite doesn't want to go in there. I'm of a little bit different opinion. I really feel like they want Iran, that that could be their crowning jewel in the Middle East until they take over Saudi Arabia and really build this new Eurasian Union. What do you think? Well, I have to start off by saying I'm certainly not uh, a Middle East expert, and uh, I, I haven't really studied that part of the puzzle as deeply as I have other parts. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think I have to agree with you, Jason, that it looks to me like for many, many years, if not decades, there's really, there's, the master planning for this has gone back many, many years. And it looks to me like they've always wanted to have that military dominance in, in the uh, Middle East. They wanted Iran. And... Um, it just seems to be that they, the people who are running the show now, we're not talking about the average American. We're talking about CFR people and um, the people with that pretty are making the decisions. If they want they and they keep talking about it, and they keep trying to stimulate some kind of a international incident to justify our attack, make it look like it was uh, retaliation and so forth. So I see no reason to believe that the, the people making the decisions have backed off at all. Well, I'm with you on that. And, uh, you know, what really scared me probably like four or five months ago when I saw this supposed speedboat, uh, Iranian speedboat alongside a, a U.S. Uh, Navy, uh, Navy craft. And they were, I remember the speedboat, but hey, just want to point out that's one of those things that never did come to fruition. 
that as a human being, I got wrong. And I'm glad I got it wrong. I'm glad that we didn't militarily get involved with Iran, but that saber still rattles to this day. And when we talk about Saudi Arabia, uh, they've played ball so big on globalization now over the years with massive global governance support, different types of globalist uh, forums, and now the push for NEOM, their version of this sustainable society that's being pushed from all corners. I want to remind everybody out there, if you're a paying subscriber over at uh, RVM, that I'm also a documentary filmmaker. All the films are free. Reference today, Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order to Find, and Shade the Motion Picture. We will be back live tomorrow morning, bright and early, 8 a.m., can't wait. Love this network. Uh, remember, so many other great people here. Drew Berquist, Alicia Powell, Matt Couch, of course, founder Ray Dietrich. And uh, this, this network continues to be a locomotive on the train tracks of truth. I love you guys. It's not about left or right. It's always about right and wrong. And I'll see you all on the flip side.